Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Uh, this is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church. Next to me uh, is the one and only Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chayam, the place that is the beacon of light and Judaism in Martin County. And uh, today we have with us Greg Milliken, who is a an Episcopal priest and also an author of Being Called Being Gay, which you can get um, anywhere books are sold because books are good. I, I think I was told that once in school. So we try to keep on doing that and getting smart people and smart authors on the show. The show is not just about being gay today. <laughs> it's about leadership uh, in, in when you have folks all over the map on points of view. And Greg's going to be sharing uh, what's it been like for him walking into a, let's say, a risky context where maybe his community was not fully ready or unsure about what's like to have someone who's very different than them um, when it comes to sexual identity. Uh, but the spirit is saying, let's go for this. Uh, how do we put God first? How do we put our own personal views and needs second and allow the spirit to work with us? Uh, Rabbi Durbin, does that sound about right? That's what the show is today. You, you've got it. You've got it to the T. You okay. And, and Greg Milliken, since you're the, the guest of honor, does that sound good? Can you, can you step into those shoes we just painted for you? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay, great. So I think we have a quorum. Our producer is ready to roll. My friends, buck your seatbelts. Let's get ready to roll for another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. WSTU, since they probably regretted overallowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Hello, good morning, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Christian here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. And next to me is the man with the hair, the man with the dogs in the background. It's Rabbi Durbin. And he is the best dressed rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. And he is here with us. Uh, and today we have an incredible guest, a wonderful guest, a guest that we paid a lot of money for because we had to fly him in on Zoom Airlines. His name is the Reverend Greg Milliken, an award-winning author, being called being gay. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, I usually reverse the title, uh, but I don't know if you know this, but if you're a church geek, if you walk around at church conferences, Greg is the one that people stop and be like, oh my God, I bought your book. Can you sign it? Um, so somehow we were able to pull some strings and get him here. Uh, but uh, what Greg, uh, Greg is going to talk about is um, how do you how do you as a leader today uh, successfully, especially as a spiritual leader, successfully uh, be the compassionate presence in a world that wants us to pick sides, whether it's theological sides, uh, sociological, political, take your pick, 
Um, how do we start to really um, say, hey, how do we hear each other, listen to one another? We talk about this a lot in the show, but it's so important for us as spiritual leaders. Um, so first and foremost, let me check in with the better half of the show of Rabbi Durbin, because without him, we don't go anywhere. Rabbi, you are the OG, you are the OT. Without you, we don't have Jesus. So tell us, how, how are you? Uh, I, I'm doing really well. Um, it was It was great yesterday when we did pre-production and i had the uh um i think christian it was the first time that you and i have actually been in the same space in a very long time in a physical place uh it was great i'm doing really well it I'm, looks uh, like and it sounds like i gave you some sickness when by seeing each other no no i just got up late i got up late i haven't had coffee i uh i'm still trying to get my bearings yeah. Okay, so are you saying that, that Greg and I need to lead the show? We need to create the show today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for the eleven dollars shake from Fruits and Roots yesterday. I appreciate that. So you're the man for bringing me lunch. Um, and so, okay, let's move on really quickly to to the man, the man of the hour, which is uh, Reverend Greg Milliken. Uh, spoiler alert: Greg and I actually went through the process of becoming gay. I, I'm sorry, becoming a priest together in yeah, Christian Field at the gay part. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I came out of the closet and straight. Yeah, uh, but Greg, but Greg and I are are I, I do he has a special place in my heart because we um, went through we went through the process of becoming and being uh, called to being priests in Los Angeles, uh, and so it has been awesome to follow uh, his journey, and uh, and also not become not only a priest but an author and the people he serves in the good state of Illinois. Uh, Greg, welcome to the show and thank you for being here with the priest and the rabbi. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we were part of a little, there's a little fraternity sorority too, but of like, you know, clergy coming out of that church in Beverly Hills. And it yeah, was that, it, we'll, we'll one of us one year, and then it was me, then it was you. And it's like, we were just sending us out through, through the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and here we are now on a, on a radio show together. Um, and I'm in Florida, you're in Illinois. And so what, what we want to talk about today, there's so many things to talk about with you, including the Tar Heels, which we know you're a huge fan of, but there's prescription oh, medication for that. Yeah. yeah, is, yeah. Um, is that you yourself <clears throat> have, um, would you say the parish you serve is more of like a purple parish? Yeah, I, that's, I, that's the best way to describe it. Absolutely. We can't, I mean, you know, the, it's 2022. We can't really separate, unfortunately, politics from everything. So yeah, well, I think I entered into a church setting when I arrived in 2018 that was perhaps skewed more red at the time, but we're talking Bush conservative. So I think now that's kind of the phrasing I use um, because uh, the Trump conservative is, is really hard vis-a-vis -vis Christianity. That's a whole other show, probably a whole other series. Um, but it was mostly a Bush conservative, Reagan conservative, if you want to say. Um, and then I arrived, and I think it's fair to say their hire, um, the vestries called to me was a, was a bit of a risk on their part. Um, it was, you know, they've had female priests before, but, um, you know, they, they were one of the churches, like many across the Episcopal Church, that had a lot of soul-searching in the last two decades after um, Gene Robinson was consecrated bishop, and, you know, we know some churches broke off, left, some dioceses left, and a lot of, most of the churches in the Episcopal Church did the homework and talked it out and then decided they could still proceed with being part of the Episcopal Church, but that, that change was happening too fast. 
And I'm certainly sensitive to that. No, human can, 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 you, can you explain what that change is and who Gene Robinson was for our listeners? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, 2003. Um, you know, I, well, let me back up and just say, you know, there's always been queer clergy. Um, and you're going to hear me use the word queer. And I think for probably for some of your listeners there, that word kind of, you know, runs a shiver up people's spine. This is a reclaimed word. Um, this is not like, say, the N-word for example, or the F word when we're talking about gay people too. Um, we're talking about a word that was once derogatory, but is now um, descriptive of a community and just basically describes anyone who does not identify as straight or cisgender. So um, if you're not identifying as straight and you're not identifying as the gender you were born in, you might fall under the umbrella of queer, okay? So now we apply things like queer theology. We look at the Bible, scripture, tradition through the lens of, um, of the queer experience, that kind of thing. You also can do it with the labels, LGBTAIQ, you know, and so on. But um, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so there's always been queer clergy, at Catholic, whatnot, but they've always been, um, they have never been allowed to be out uh, and gay or queer or whatever you want to say. And there was movement in the Episcopal Church in the 80s and 90s to start having that become a reality. You know, let's let's make um, same-sex marriage a priority for this church. Let's actually ordain openly gay clergy who are in committed relationships and start to model the behavior of the world that's changing around us. And Gene Robinson was kind of the one lifted up among the, the gay clergy. It was a little bit like a fraternity. They all knew each other, of course. They kind of had met secret meetings in the 90s and stuff. And Gene was the one in, in, uh, who, who was lifted up, and he became Bishop of New Hampshire in mm -hmm. 2003 in a fair uh, electoral process. And when that happened, um, it kind of caused a mini schism for the Episcopal Church. And in the, the subsequent uh, decade and, and a half, um, those who were really unhappy with that decision decided in their congregations to, to split, to, to leave. And some dioceses were, were unhappy enough that they left too. So for example, in Illinois, um, there was a diocese once called Quincy, um, kind of hovered around Quincy area. That diocese elected to leave and become part of the Anglican Church of North America called ACNA. Um, and a diocese of Chicago, where I'm at now, um, inherited all of that property and kind of the, the leftover Episcopalians. And so now we kind of absorb that. And that's happened in small ways, big ways as well, too. So there's, there's a little primer on the history of, um, you know, queer sexuality in the church. Yeah, Rabbi. Can we, can we, can we take it back just, just uh, probably a, a few more years before then in terms of what, what, what brought you <clears throat> to the priesthood? Yeah. What was, was there something attractive about it? How, how did that manifest for you? Yeah, I, Look, I felt a, a first calling when I was a teenager on a mission trip. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. We went on a mission trip. It was the first time, you know, I grew up fairly privileged. Um, the first time I encountered poverty uh, at an extreme scale. Um, we were down in rural Tennessee. And I, I saw, I just kind of saw what the church could be, you know, once you kind of get out of your comfort zone and you go and you actually, you know, change lives little bits at a time. So I was always kind of beckoned by the church, but I kept saying, oh, God, you've got the wrong guys. You know, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I was grappling with my own sexuality. And I kept thinking, I can't, I'm gay. I can't, I can't be 
I can't be a priest. And then Gene Robinson gets elected in 2003. And now it's suddenly, it's okay to be openly gay and a priest. And so I was like, well, I can't use that excuse anymore. So very soon after that, um, I, I felt kind of called again to ministry um, and changed careers in 2010. Yeah. So when you change careers, <clears throat> you, you, you're, you feel the call, you're like, you feel emboldened. Uh, once you go through how much did, this is something like I didn't have to think about. Um, you and I were basically in the same draft class, um, but yeah. um, you had to be aware of what seminary would be the right place. And also yeah. then once you get out of seminary, what region or what church would be right? Because now you have to start to balance. Where could I go where people will accept me or even be open to this journey, the spiritual journey of saying, oh, we've never had an openly gay leader. What will that be like for our church? So, so yeah. what, what was that process like of trying to discern that and walk into that? And have, did you, does that does it also stir up sometimes an emotional reaction when you realize that, you're not going to accept me and it becomes kind of personal uh how, how do you deal with that also trying to be a compassionate leader <laughs> well let me there's two things you mentioned there and I, I because you mentioned Tar Heels early on I think a basketball analogy is always apt I often think of priests in, in our church as being kind of head coaches and and getting people to buy into the system a little bit but um you know it is a little bit like what school are you going to go to on on draft day you know where are you going to sign and that was the first time I thought about where would I feel safe uh, I had a husband at the time and we were looking at New York General Seminary in New York which has historically got um, just busting out of the seams with gay men um, in, as clergy or you think about the west coast too so you just naturally kind of gravitate towards the coast because you know it's a safe place and in the in the decade of the the aughts you still wanted you still kind of felt like you couldn't trust everybody but I, I went to Virginia Seminary and got wooed by them in, a, in their um, you know, three-day visit weekend. And they were going through a period of transition too where they once were very conservative theologically. And they were not, not everybody to this day, professors are not on board with openly gay clergy or same-sex marriage or even female clergy for that matter. And yet probably credit goes to Ian Markham for also kind of creating the, the stew in which these things were rattled around. But, you know, that, that seminary was ready to not change its ethos, but to just kind of expand its horizons a little bit and kind of make the mix a little bit more, um, more equitable. And we, my husband, Andrew and I, at the time when we went to Virginia felt really welcome and really, really safe. And, you know, now it's, there's many more queer clergy going there, which is, which is really beautiful to see. But then the next phase, the second part of what you're saying is then, then think about the churches. And yeah, you know, I don't want to say it's all roses out there. It's, it, there's places in the country, it's just still not, it may be physically safe, but it, you may not feel emotionally safe, you know, to share your life. Your sexuality is a private thing, but it is, in some ways, it's also a public thing if you're, if you're looking to date or you're trying to raise a family and whatnot. You know, I, I don't want to single out particular places, but you can kind of assume, you know, there's probably some more rural places out there where it just they're just not comfortable yet, you know, and and that gets back to what we we're saying before about change is, is hard for people. Um, that said, I was I was kind of attracted to not going to in ministry and parish ministry to a church where uh, I have nothing to do. 
So I didn't want to go necessarily to the coast to begin with because I knew I'd be accepted and, and it would be a given. And one of the things that attracted me to this church, Grace and New Lenox, was um, it was a historically conservative church and, and area. Uh, it was outside Chicago, but it wasn't Chicago. And I was like, maybe there's something I can do here. Maybe, maybe the spirit is putting me here to stretch myself and also stretch them a little bit. And, and that's where we all, we've all kind of felt the click and we went in um, the click of the spirit and we went in this together saying the risk is worth it, you know, and I felt nothing but welcomes the whole time, which is great. Wow. Yeah. But I, I do want to say underscore that for many queer clergy, it, it still, it still gives you pause. You know, the, the entire Episcopal church is not necessarily open to them. So you do have to kind of be strategic about where where you're going and it tends to be a little bit more circulated around urban areas for now but you know this it's the slow march of change over, over greg you 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 just you have a tone and, a, and a, an approach that uh it doesn't it seem like to me that you, you take things personally which probably really works to you well as a leader especially when you're that's why you may be attracted to New Lennox because you're like, listen, it's okay. I actually like the idea that not everyone's on board with this. Um, let's see where the spirit is leading us. And you have this humility to you where you're like, I need to grow too. And I'm going to grow the yeah. best if I'm around a group of people who might not be ready for who I am. Uh, but as long as we can agree on Jesus and, and, and take this walk as people of faith and we're open to where God will lead us. Now it's, it's not about you. It's not about them. It's about God. Uh, transformation can happen all around. And maybe that's the key here. Um, yeah is that as people of faith, we do have this, this what's on our side. And I know that's what's helped us at St. Mary's is that, yeah, we'd like you, we were, we're a deeply purple parish, but as long as clergy, we can make it about in our Christian context, we make it about Jesus. And so we live there and make it about him um, and not about us, not about my views or your views or my journey. You need to understand me. Um, and um, then it becomes less, less self-righteous and it becomes more about God. But right. I just want to commend you. What I hear from you is that you, you, there's, I don't feel um, this uh, you have, you, you are offended or you've taken a person, which is not easy about how people might think about it. you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. I know not everyone's comfortable with this. Um, and I'm assuming that's because you're just very comfortable with who you are yeah. and you don't need to win anyone's acceptance and validation about who you are. So you're like, great. You're not there yet. I know who I am. Let's take this journey together. Uh, how did you get to that place of just humility and compassion and patience and with that? Oh, wow. Well, you're really gracious to say all those things. And, and certainly you're catching me on a good day. Maybe there's probably days where I'm, I, I lose my patience for sure. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a conservative part of the country, um, suburban West End, Richmond, Virginia, soccer matches and barbecues and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I knew I was not straight. Uh, at about age 10 or 11. And I write about that in the book. And I, I just was conscious. I knew it was not straight. And, and you know, I, 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 and you're catching me even flipping the words a little bit here, which is not fair, um, because I actually identify as bisexual, um, truly. And, and yet, you know, there's a whole problem in the queer community with the bisexual, we talk about bi visibility, where, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to be bisexual, to be, you know, it's hard to be non-binary gender-wise, extremely hard. Uh, I'll never understand how hard it is. And that's because human beings just want to say one or the other, please, not both. Um, which, by the way, 
then I go, then I would show them Genesis one and two and be like, really, you know, one or the other, um, pick, pick a creation story then. Cause you can only have one. Um, <laughs> no, that's not how, I, no, we want both. Right. That's good. Um, so, okay. So I got off track a second, but I, you know, I grew up in the, in Richmond and, and conservative area. And I grew up using the F word as slang uh, among my guy friends, you know, and, but knowing exactly what I was doing, going like, I'll say it and then they'll never know that I'm really one of them, you know, and, and that, you know, we'll play video games, we'll, we'll hang out, we'll do guy things, you know, and meanwhile, I hope nobody figures out that I'm not doing sports and that I'm, I'm only doing theater, uh, you know, this like, I, I, so I get it, I, I just, I just lived in that, I know what it's like, and it's not because people are hateful, it's just, we just don't have any experience, you know, you just, you're just part of the culture around you, I have no I can't blame anyone in, in, you know, rural parts of Illinois for not being around a gay priest before it. And it's the first time for everybody. Give them some patience. I'd rather walk that journey with somebody and watch them change, change their hearts and minds slowly over time. But it starts with just getting to know somebody. And if you don't have gay family members or gay friends or, or anything, it's going to take you a bit longer to come around. Now, wh where I do lose my patience is with intelligent people in leadership who know better. So let, let me just name drop one now, the deposed Bishop of um, Albany, I just think is just, I, you know, this was Bishop Love of Albany was uh, defrocked earlier this year. I think that's what happened. Because what does that mean for our audience? That means he was uh, removed from his, um, his clerical duties as a bishop. Uh, he was the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany and he refused the, the Episcopal Church in 2015, I think, uh, basically made it um, totally legal, for lack of a better word, to perform same-sex marriages anywhere in the church. And if a bishop had trouble with that personally, if their convictions, you know, felt violated, they could, they were instructed to give the, um, the couple that sought marriage to another diocese, neighboring diocese, perhaps, where a bishop would be more accepting. And Bishop Love refused to do that. Um, and refused to play ball and others bishops had trouble but bishop love made it really dramatic and you know would hold his hold his bcp and wave it at um general conventions and complain bcp means book of common prayer interfaith audience but it it just reeked of just somebody who's just grandstanding you know and 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 i'm sure he had these personal convictions but i think he you know, it's just you you know what you've You've been in the church for 40, 50 years. You're a bishop, for God's sake. You know better. You, you, know, you, you, know, you, you know this isn't just um, a whim. This is, this is, this is, this is a, a movement of, of real significant change and the embracing of all God's people. This is not a, a takeover by you know, urban liberals or something. Um, so that's, you know, how, how do you, how do you deal though with, with, so in my context, so I have a lot of evangelical sisters and brothers here. Um, well, a lot of more evangelical brothers, let's be real about who the pastors yeah. are, um, yeah. here and they're going to have, they, they, they will come to me after the show and be like, dude, are you serious? Come on. You're really going to have this guy on your radio show. Like you're really going to give a platform to openly good clergy. The Bible is very really clear on this. Um, you know, Rabbi Durbin and I have had uh, gay rabbis in on here, and uh, it, it was offensive to them, uh, and they struggle with that, and one of them stopped talking to me because of that. Like, he used to be sort of like a person who was really a part of my life and helped give advice, just 
doesn't really talk to me anymore because of that. So uh, how do you, so for me, that's like, I get pissed off. Like, seriously, you're going to judge me and just write me off on that. But for, but for you, I can imagine the emotional scale can get even more because it's, 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 it's literally your context. Um, how do you then come to those tables and just still with that same amount of humility and compassion and say, okay, I, st- I just want to meet you. I know that you, you're holding up the word of God and saying, I am an abomination. Um, how do you go from there and say, come Holy Spirit, lead me because you're a loving and compassionate, forgiving God. And I want to be a part of your grace. Did, did, does, how do you do that, sir? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know how you do it. I've been told to my face, I'm an abomination. So, you know, I guess practice makes perfect, but you um, look, we're going through this right now. And, and, and honestly, it's the hardest time I've in my professional life as a priest for sure because of the pandemic and vaccines and all. So it really is a parallel process of how do we deal with people that don't agree with us? And also how do you deal with people that you think are wrong? And without, and, and here's the thing that was not working. You know, I got news for you, Democrats and liberals, telling someone they're stupid or wrong or misguided or whatnot, it's not working. And I've never changed anyone's mind by telling them how stupid they are. So as we are going through this now and we're trying to go, okay, how do I reach somebody, you know, with sense and science and whatnot, you got to, you have to listen. It is humility, right? So I am not saying it's easy. In fact, I shrink from these discussions sometimes, especially about things like vaccines, because I'm done. I'm done. I get the damn shot. I'm tired of this. Uh, You know, we asked nicely and, you know, I'm, I, if I had, if I had them right now, if I had met the vaccines, I would go out and just like pop them in arms right now. And that's how done I am with this nonsense. But anyway, wow. so I know, Love I'm it. sorry, guys, this is, it's you do real well here. Do you real well. Shut up and do it, right? But I'm a priest, so I can't say a little bit, right? Okay, so, but with sexuality, um, yeah, it's, how do you, and so to my evangelical friends, to those who read the Bible literally, um, I just want them to stop and, and take a, you know, pretend we're at a dinner table right now and, you know, and there's some moderation going on. And before things get heated, you have to understand where someone's coming from. And I think that's the huge problem in the world, in America, is like, where is your beginning stage? Because I think we all assume we're coming at it from the middle where we've all, we're all read up. We all know all the angles and everything. And then we're start getting angry because people aren't. Okay, so evangelical friends, I get it. The Bible is the inspired word of God. God wrote these words down, right? That's fine. I'm not making fun of that. I'm not saying it's not a valid point of view, nothing. But that's where you come from, right? Here's where I come from. The Bible is inspired word of God, full stop. Hey, we agree on something. What does inspired word of God mean to me? It means God, did God physically write down the words? No. Did God get inside? Did God possess Paul? And Paul started writing these letters, you know? No. Was Paul, was, um, you know, any of these other authors, were they writing from a place of faith, trying to convince other people to come to the faith? Yeah. Does that inspired? Yeah, that is inspired. Did, are they human in the process of writing? 100%. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Are these old documents that got retranslated and rewritten and recopied? 
Yes. When that happens, do you think a human is flawless and every time they rewrite something? No. And, you know, but one of the great things is about scripture is all of this is there for the taking. It just matter. It's just a matter of where you enter in from. And if you enter in from that place of, I want to know who wrote this, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, who they were writing to, and I want to know what version copy is this, what was its original language, where is English failing me? Because I do, I do think a lot of American evangelicals need to understand that the English translations do you a huge disservice from the beauty of Rabbi the Hebrew. Greek is beautiful, don't get me wrong, but Hebrew. But it's not the same as Hebrew. It's not the same. Lavav means life, love. Uh, I mean, that's that's head, heart. These are, that's English. Those mean completely different things, right? And before we got on in the tease, we talked about hesed. That hesed can be translated 5,000 ways, right? Righteousness, faith, right? In English, you get one chance. You pick one, one version of that, right? How you know, we, we, we tend to say, like, in English, you may have hundreds of millions, uh, billions of words. Hebrew, right. we have hundreds of millions. Yeah. Because it's so multivocal. One right. word. I mean, a classic word like shalom, hello, goodbye, and peace. Three yes. words for one word. I mean, amazing. amazing. Exactly. And, and sometimes in, in American English, we can't understand why chow the Italians say ciao for hello and goodbye. Like, why would you have one word that says hello and goodbye? What does that mean? Uh, you know, in Hebrew, it's like, wow, now, now we're cooking. Um, that's all there in the Hebrew scriptures. And yet, when you read a good news Bible, that, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, I tell, I teach all my congregation that participate. Oh, we lost the rabbi. I guess he didn't like that idea. But um uh, so when I teach Bible study, I try to tell my people, please get a study Bible, you know, and, and have multiple translations. You know, let's do, we'll use common English Bible, then we'll maneuver, we'll switch to new English Bible. And yeah, King James Bible still has a lot to teach us as well. And meanwhile, I'm looking at a Jewish study Bible, and I sometimes, if, I, if I'm not too rusty, I've got my Hebrew Bible too. But as you can tell, I studied Hebrew in seminary under the tutelage of Judy Fentress Williams, um, my my mentor, wherever she may be. No, she's here, but she's amazing. And, um, and I just fell in love with Hebrew and, and the multiple meanings of the text and the, the sing-songy nature of it, because it was such an oral culture where you wanted to repeat things like, thus says the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the refrains saying those things is because people didn't have the text in front of them. So you had to leave the temple and remember and you know memorize these words and that takes time um I, I just think all of that is beautiful and sometimes it just gets lost when you take a, a, a phrase or a, a passage out of context and you know stick it on a a board and hold it up at a protest to say you know god hates f-a-g-s i think yeah you know not in the, which is not in scripture by the way yeah that's that's, that's right uh it's just fun watching rabbi not his head this whole time because it's like you know you 
Uh, she's like, amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> amen. Amen. He's like, I've been trying to preach that to everyone over the last 20 years. Um, so let's let, let's take a quick break so we can get a breather here for Greg and hear from the people who make the show possible. Uh, you are listening to A Priest and a Rabbi with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. And our guest today is the Reverend Greg Milliken, also author extraordinaire, who wrote a book on being called being gay. And uh, that's right, right? Yeah, you got it. Being Nailed it. Being gay. Uh, grab that on Amazon. We'll be right back to continue part two of this discussion. I'm WPTV First Alert Meteorologist Katya Hall on WSTUAM 1450 Martin County's Heritage Station. All right, everybody. Welcome back to part two. We're having a Todd Newton. You know, Todd Newton used to like guide us in the Emmy award winning host, but he got, he, he got went out to bigger green pastures. So if you're just tuning in, this is a, a free prayer by Pat Cost. And here we go. Another coming back in. Welcome back to the award-winning priest and a rabbi radio show with father Christian and rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Ask and you shall receive. And also Todd Newton shows up. Um, and uh, this is Father Christian. And next to me is Rabbi Durbin. And then across from us in front of the piano, which I hope he's going to play at some point, is the Reverend Greg Milliken, author of Being, uh, Being Called Being Gay. And uh, he is talking to us about what is it like it. He serves at a at a uh, a conservative parish and was called in there. And it was a little bit risky for them um, to to take on an openly gay priest. So the show is not really about what's it like to be gay um, and be a priest. Um, I'm sure you can find a lot of podcasts about that. But more importantly, though, how do you walk with a community um, if you're a leader of any, specifically a spiritual community? But how do you walk with fellow friends in faith? sisters and brothers in faith, and have completely uh, different views on things, whether it's political, theological, social, and how do you find the, the, the fruit the spirit is going to grow um, if you allow it to not be about you or about your people, but really about God and about God's love and God's community, um, and because God can do a really amazing transformative things if we just not make it about ourselves, uh, yep. And not make it about a righteousness and trying to prove the other person wrong, as in, as Greg says, not calling them stupid, uh, but saying, God, what are you up to here? Uh, because this is my sister and my brother. Um, don't agree with them. But how do we, through you, um, find find a oneness and re hear, really hear each other? And maybe both of our hearts get transformed. Uh, so let, let's go back to that. Greg, you are uh, in your parish. Is there, we come back to this a lot. 
How important are your own spiritual practices for you to be able to be in that place so you can be the compassionate person to hear someone's point of view, whether it's political, social, theological, or about sexual identity, and be at a place where you can be like, I hear you, I'm with you. I, I, don't, I don't agree with you, but I just, you, you can be in that really good, God-filled place and walk with them. And so it doesn't become cantankerous or divisive, or you have an emotional reaction. Yeah. Do, do you have a spiritual practice that helps you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, this is not my piano, but music is, is huge for me. Huge, huge, huge. I find music to be an example of how we participate in creation. I really do. And it's one of the evidences of the existence of God is how we, we create new things out of nothing, ex nihilo. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I'm extremely stressed, um, when I know I need to recenter, I will play music and I know God is communicating with me through there. So I, I should say, I'm not really, you know, a lot of clergy in our church will say, oh, I read the daily offices every day. I, you know, I, I do a SSJE retreat. This is like a, a monastic place in Boston. You know, I'm not very monastic. I, I, I'm not, I don't really lean aesthetic. This doesn't really work for me. Long periods of silence um, don't work for me. Um, that said, I'm in the midst of a, a long road trip where I'm experiencing long bouts of silence. So I, I'm actually doing kind of a reboot right now because my spiritual life's been in the, in the tank for the last few months. Um, I've struggled with depression. Um, I've lost my patience with parishioners over little things, over big things like vaccines. Um, and in consultation with my vestry and the bishop, we said the most mature thing we can do right now is to create space for Greg to, um, you know, take some time off. And that's what I'm doing right now and rebooting my spiritual life in many ways. Sometimes you got to shut the computer off and restart it. So I felt a little distant from God um, through the pandemic. I've had many dark nights of the soul of going, I, if this is part of the plan, if there is such a thing, uh, I need a little more info. I think it's okay to ask that of God. God can handle the questions. Um, I haven't gotten any clear answers yet, but um, but I'm still here. You know, I didn't quit, and Lord knows I've wanted to. So my yeah, my spiritual life is is in a process of rehabilitation at the moment. But if there's anything that's really grounding for me, it's music and being able to create. So I, I am more of a creative person, an art artist, um, struggling artist. Yeah. Uh and, and, and Greg, let me just, because um, what, what you said, I think was extremely powerful um, for our clergy to be able to admit to ourselves and to others, yeah. you know, I'm struggling and my spiritual life is a work in progress and it's, 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 not, it's not going upwards, it's going downwards and I need time and space. I, yeah. I was really, actually really blown away by what you just said. Oh, thank you, Rabbi. I, look, it's not easy. I mean, I'm, it's, look, I, if I was a nurse or a teacher, I, I would be in a much greater level of stress right now. But as a priest I, I ha who has nurses and, and teachers in my congregation, I'm not at my best, um, nowhere near my best right now to minister to them. So that's when I said I need something a little more than a Sabbath. So I guess, Christian, the other answer is um, I take my Sabbath day very seriously. Um, I, I moved my Sabbath day to Monday. So that's my day off where I don't do any work for my day job whatsoever. You know, I'm, I'm not at home doing nothing. Uh, it's usually when I'm doing the grocery store runs or some things like that. But 
that day is so critical. And only Monday works for me because I know I'm not working on a sermon on Monday. Um, and when it was like, say, Friday, I inevitably I was writing a sermon or doing something. So that time and I do it so publicly with my congregation, you know, I, it's to the point where I almost put it in my emails. I'm not available on Monday, you know, unless it's an emergency. I want them to do that for themselves. You know, they're going to have more flexibility. Probably Saturday will be their Sabbath um, or Sunday, you know, coming to church is their Sabbath. Who knows? So I think Sabbath is really important. And I, I forgot the other thing that I think is a great spiritual practice. I like cooking. I, same thing, creative. To me, it's taking a bunch of things and making something new. And, and that's Genesis 2 to me. It really is. Yeah, I think you're the first person to come on here when we've asked that question who doesn't go into some monastic walk. Of, and, yeah. Which make, works. Well, for make you no mistake. Part. I'm not criticizing those. I just yeah. think it's, it's, it would be, it would be dishonorable for me to pretend I do those things, you know, cause that's not who I am. And if I had to change who I was to be a priest, I wouldn't have been a priest. Well, thank you. I, I, I do echo. Um, I want to echo that echo. Yeah. Hey, good. Rabbi. Yeah. What Rabbi said. I mean, it, it too, to have that openness and transparency and yeah. about well, I think oftentimes oftentimes we see our clergy on a certain pedestal or on a certain level we don't want to hear about their vulnerabilities right it's it's my my priest or my rabbi <clears throat> in some way has a veil so that they're distanced in some way that they don't take it personally and i think that right. there is something there of when we do bring it in of saying you know i am struggling um yeah. you know one of my one of my favorite lines is, is, is a small little sign in the heart of Berlin uh, at the Abraham Geiger College that trains for uh, reform rabbis in, in continental Europe. And it says, rabbis are humans. Yep. Learn the message. We're human beings. We're prone to mistake. Right. You know? um, we're prone to, you know, to challenge and to strife. And I think, I think there's something there that says when we struggle as clergy, um, there's, something, there's something really powerful there that we're struggling just alongside with everyone else. And, um, you know, to not lose sight of that picture that we're human beings. Exactly right. And, you know, I, I'd be, I, I would be bad at my job if I didn't tie it back into what we were talking about, about, the, about scripture earlier. But, um, but I can't help but say, you know, our experiences are nothing new. Um, I just gotta, just to give us a little dose of humility, this is all there in the Bible. Hebrew and scripture, Hebrew scriptures and New Testament of people of faith going through some stuff and writing about it and saying, you know, look at all the Psalms. There's some Psalms where it's just like, I, God, I need you. Where are you? You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there are ones where everything's great and, you know, sing to the Lord a new song. There are books like Ruth that are, you know, comedies technically romantic comedy, in fact, to use the modern term. And then there are books like Judges and Joshua, which are really difficult. Um, and, and that's life, you know, it's all there. And, and all of our experiences now have been experienced in other ways, probably far more traumatic before for people of faith before. And getting back to that, the idea of how you kind of enter into scripture and tradition, if I go in going, I'm now looking at a book, it's like a relic. It's like an archaeology find. This is what people 3,000 years ago thought about how the world was created and what happens when terrible things happen to them. What happens when, 
the, the, there's a giant flood and all, there's all this devastation. You know, what happens when there's a plague? How do you deal with that? How do, you know, where is the creator in all of this? And that is, you know, th that question still remains right now of where is the creator in all of this madness right now? How do you? Where is the Hesed? Yeah. And how, so how, this openness you have of the challenge of life and like the, the Bible has examples of people going through the, the mountains and the valleys and you are um, a priest, you're, you're a clergyman who's come on the show. And again, I, I can't think we just can't just, just glide over this. It's awesome how vulnerable and open you've been about you, you're, you're in the, you're, you have a spiritual community. You said to them, I walk, talk to the bishop, I'm talking with you. I need some time to get a breather. Um, it's, it's good because it, did you think that invites, I've always just been surprised, babbling here. I've always been surprised. And when I'm vulnerable with my congregation about my own weakness, about my own struggles to maybe uh, when I've blown it as a husband, and I put that in my sermon that people don't remember all my scripture they don't remember all the theology they come and be like it was really powerful to hear that you lost your patience with anastasia and you really effed up one night as a as a as a uh, as a as a husband because i can identify with that i get that and then you I mean you got as as a sermonizer you got to show the redemption of like what did i do i went and sought forgiveness i came to her said how do i become a better husband blah 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 uh so that part is key but uh our 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 communities respond really well to that. And I'm assuming this is going to be a gemstone for your community to say, I, Father Greg can be open and honest about that. He needs this. He, he's spiritually spent. I feel spiritually spent right now. And I'm going to name that and claim that and do something about that. Um, and you're modeling that in your vulnerability. I think, you know, this is Brene Brown to the 10th power here that yeah, our strength yeah. is in our vulnerability. Right. Um, so I, I'm assuming that this is going to bear so much fruit for your congregation for this journey you're on right now. I, I sure hope so. I mean, that's that's the idea. That's the hope. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it all, but let's just circle back to the whole reason you invited me on here. And in and, and the last 30 minutes, we haven't talked about sex at all. And again, that's that's exact. And that's I didn't plan it this way, but this is exactly how I maneuver in my congregation. I think, honestly, people were afraid and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way or even to make fun of it, but they were afraid I was going to come in and put pride flags all over the church and, you know, and suddenly just have, you know, I don't know what, but just, you know, like just, I'm trying to think of every gay stereotype that doesn't get me in trouble. And there are none that come to mind. And so just. You rename your every, church the first yeah. church of gay. Yeah. But, I, but I, think, I, think, yeah. I think for some, it, it, it's the fear that you're bringing the bedroom into the pulpit. Right, right, exactly. Instead, you know, again, stick to the gospel, right? And and stick to things like Keep that we all are. City vision as we place sure. a baseball under Yeah. Stick to the universal things of, you know, what's it like to feel um the lack of God, God's presence? You know, what is it like to be a husband? What is it like to go through a divorce? And something else I've had to go through publicly this year. What is it like to just be human and be a person of faith? And none of that has to do with sex. And then you start to discover that you're, if somebody has a hang up about someone being um, different or other, especially sexually, you realize that's such a small part of what makes that person a human being. Mm. And there's so much that we have to agree with, you know? Um, 
So, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you interact with something where someone raises that as an issue or a challenge? Yeah. And perhaps they're unwilling to listen. Right. Um, you know, I use it, I use it in a context. I, I remember years ago, I was, uh, I was running a school in, in, in London. The rabbi at the time uh, was, was a, a, a lesbian rabbi. And the board was very, they were unhappy with her sermons because she would talk about a conversation she had with her partner late at night. And that conjured up too many, too many images where of course a straight man or a straight woman saying, I had a conversation with my partner. You'd never make that connection. It was never an issue, but because they were right known as gay or lesbian, suddenly now you're bringing your antics that I don't want to hear into my space. How do you, how do you, as a, as a priest, um, deal with those challenging moments of others who are unwilling to listen while at yeah. the same time trying to be authentic and being real to who you are? Yeah, it's, it, it's funny. There's kind of two things in there. And, and the first thing I would say is I, for somebody who's maybe new to ministry and is queer, you're, you might feel the need to talk about your partner and use all those things because it's very freeing, right? And I get that. But I really want to caution you to say you need to deploy those things strategically. You know, maybe you want to do the a sermon about coming out on coming out day or, or around that time or in Pride Month. But two or three times of just hammering that same thing home and people just go, oh, and that goes for anything, you know, that a straight man talking about his wife works once. Sorry, Christian. And then, you know, maybe a year later, you can talk about your wife again, you know, or your kids or whatnot, because there's so much more to, to pull from. And, and to also to caution to say, stick to the script. What's the gospel? What are the readings for the day? You know, don't just kind of force something in because it makes you feel good, but you're trying to change hearts and minds, right? So that's the first thing. But you know, and this is what what you're asking, and Christian was kind of asking it too. Is I don't, um, you know, the first thing I would say you know, there have been there's. I want to say um, to quote Kenny Rogers, "No one to hold them, no one to fold them." So uh, I was confronted on an airplane when I was married to my husband. Um, a woman said, "Are you two brothers?" Um, and knowing, and we knew exactly where she was going with this, sitting across the aisle no, we're married. And she goes, how can you be married? It's an abomination. And she was just pushing the buttons. And we, my husband started to argue with her. She said, I'm a Baptist minister. It's an abomination. And we, I just kind of shut down the argument. I mean, first of all, I wasn't equipped to have it at the time. So no one to hold him and no one to fold him, you know, fighting at 5 a.m. on no a when to walk away. No when to walk away. Exactly. Don't count your money until afterwards, the when the dealing's done. And and at the other time, if it's a parishioner that's got a real concern or saying, I'm struggling with this, and this has happened in my church, you know, you need to create a forum, a place where people can, a safe place where they can talk. And I think it's good to have multiple people there with various perspectives. Um, so I love in churches when you have like an, an adult forum, and it is a forum, not a lecture, but a conversation, a guided conversation. And, and we do one at our church, you know, 12 people on average on Sunday, but it is a forum and we're all talking and father does not always know best. 
and right now they're doing one without me and they're doing just talking about the things of the day. They're probably talking about January 6th a year later. They're probably talking about um, politics, who knows? But it's a space where people can say what they wanna feel and, and what they wanna say and not feel like they've been, uh, they're gonna be hounded or, or yelled back at. And they're also gonna be exposed to other, other um, points of view as well too. And that's, I really think that's where mind changing starts to happen. So you got to create uh, a space, a safe space for people to ask questions and to be heard. And then you also have to give them pastorally a, a place to hear other perspectives. Greg, I know there's uh, we're, we're, we're near in time here. And I know there might be folks who would say, this is really good. And my church or my synagogue, my mosque um, would want to maybe start these conversations um, we don't know where we want to go with this, but maybe the spirit is leading us to start this and where everyone's take and understanding of this is accepted. We just want to start to have these conversations. If people want to reach out to you for just some consultation on that, how can they get to find you? And also where can they find your book? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm My DMs are always open, as they say. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It is uh, my tweet lord with underscores in between um, the words. And my email is greg at gracenewlenox.org, one N in uh, Lennox. Check out our website if you want. And I, if you want to hear sermons and things like that, you can hear me um, blabber on. That's all there as well. And then the book is just everywhere you find books, I like to say. It. Um, it's, uh, you know, Amazon. Church Publishing is the publisher. I and mean, I'm grateful for them for giving me the opportunity to write that book, which is great. The book is Being Called Being Gay. The author is the Reverend Greg Milliken. Uh, he has a priest. He has a dear friend. He is now a friend of the show. And we are just uh, honored that you said yes to come on the show to talk way more than just about sexuality, uh, about leadership, about honesty, about transparency, about the love of God uh, that binds us all. So, um, and about scripture. You, you, got a lot of the, you got a lot of the word in. So that, that's, that's uh, always a good thing. And you focused on the Hebrew, which makes our rabbi very happy. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you, brother, for being on the show. And uh, I, I hope that we can just continue this relationship in some way or the other and uh, appreciate all your good words. Thank you, guys. All right. Our producer is telling us it is time to go. We love you. We got one more show until we are done in Permalia a podcast. So one more show here on 1450 AM. Then you can only find us on the podcast. But next time, it will be just our wives on the show. So check out us next Friday at 9 AM EST. Until then, God bless you and go save the world. Peace. Mm-hmm.